Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. I think you guys may have heard of a poem that is kind of famous this time of year, right? It kind of starts like this, twas the night before what? Yeah. I want to share this evening another story is about the night before Christmas. Usually on Christmas Eve, what we do is, is we kind of focus on Bethlehem and we focus on the manger, but I'd like for us to think just for a few moments about what it must have been like on Christmas Eve, not here on earth, but in heaven. That night, the Lord Jesus was speaking a farewell to the Old Testament saints. He was speaking a farewell to the angels and to his Father. He then laid aside his glory, stepped over the portals of heaven, and into the dung of a smelly eastern stable. But what would he say to the Father as he left? Before the curtain rose on the greatest event in all of human history, what was the conversation like on that Christmas Eve in heaven? Well, fortunately... Grayson just read some of those words for us, but they're also found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. I wonder if you would stand with me as I read the word of God to you this, this, this evening. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, we can see exactly the conversation that happened before Jesus came to earth. The Bible says these words, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. You may be seated and may God bless the reading of his holy word. Now that for which heaven had been waiting was coming. The one to whom the prophets had been pointing was coming. The father had been bringing the light, the picture of his coming for generations. Way back in the early verses of Genesis, the sun of his revelation began to rise and cast its shadow for everyone to see. Jesus, Emmanuel, was there pictured in the skins that clothed Adam and Eve. Jesus was pictured in righteous Abel's offering, Isaac's sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb in Egypt, and the great chapter in Isaiah 53. Now on Christmas Eve, it is high noon on God's clock of revelation. No more shadows. It's now the fullness of time, and God was sending forth his own son. God himself, now clothed in human flesh, was stepping out of heaven and into human history. But how? Well, with a body you've prepared for me. Why? To do your will, O God. Christmas Eve in heaven, I mean, what a thought. Most of our thoughts on Christmas are centered around what took place here. We focus on the innkeeper, Joseph, Mary, Elizabeth, Zacharias, the stable, the shepherds, the wise men, The angels, but what about heaven? Gabriel had just returned from his visit here on earth, and he had heard Mary report of his response, and she said, my soul magnifies the Lord. He reported on how faithful and obedient Joseph was while knowing that Joseph would most likely become the brunt of every barroom joke in Nazareth. 
He told of the shepherds and their own excitement out in the fields in Bethlehem. And all of heaven was now looking over the portals. The fullness of time had come. Even those on earth were most oblivious to this remarkable event. But those in heaven were watching, waiting, and worshiping. You see, Abel was there, and he was looking over those portals. He had brought, remember, not a work of his hands, but a sacrificial animal to the altar of worship, and God had accepted it. He now says, I clearly see what it was all about. Abraham was looking over those portals. He had left the land of his father, and now he watches Christ make ready to do the same. Isaac was peering over the portals on that Christmas Eve. Isaac had put wood on his back and carried it up to Moriah to be sacrificed himself. Now he too sees this more clearly. Moses was watching. He had taken the Passover lamb and split his blood over the doorpost and the lintel of the home and found out what it meant to be delivered from death and slavery. Rahab was there on that Christmas Eve looking over the portal of heaven. Centuries earlier, if you remember, she hung a scarlet thread out a window, a picture of Christ and his deliverance for us. And Isaiah, he's certainly there. It was he who had prophesied that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son who would later be wounded for our transgressions. And thus on Christmas Eve, the Lord Jesus turned to the Father and says these words, a body, a body you've prepared for me, and it is written in your book, and now I go to do your will. What possibly could we take away tonight on this Christmas Eve from those passages about what happened on a night like tonight in heaven? Well, the first thing is simply this, folks. I want you to see that Christmas means the cost of sin has been paid. Christmas means that the cost of sin has been paid. He says there in verse 5, he says, but a body you have prepared for me. I mean, what a step from the splendor of heaven to the womb of a woman and finally to a stable in Bethlehem. There's so much packed in that statement, a body you have prepared for me. A body in New Testament language translate a word meaning material substance. Now we know that the Bible teaches that God is a spirit. Thus we find this is some condescension here. This great creator God stepped into a body and flesh to identify with you and I. In this body, he would become our own sin bearer. But also it says a body that's been prepared. That, that is a Greek word that means to be framed or perfectly joined together. But what's interesting, and I'm not trying to impress you with my English, but it's in the middle voice. And what that means is that the subject acts upon itself. So what God is saying is that God himself prepared himself a body, which is amazing. What a divine revelation. It's God who's prepared himself a body. Here is Emmanuel, God with us in the first and finest order. He's come out of heaven to be implanted into a baby, in a, in a mother's womb as a baby. He's visited us. What an Emmanuel. It was not like ours in a lot of ways, but it was a whole lot like our birth in a lot of ways. It was accompanied by pain and struggle. He wasn't born in the decency of a hospital. He wasn't born in the decency with clean materials. He was born and then placed in a stable where sickness and death were likely possibilities. 
Do you see Mary on a nightlight tonight? Do you see her? Any of you have been pregnant and, and had a baby? She's in labor. Should I say that word tonight? I don't know. We're supposed to be joyful. Labor. Her back is aching. Her, her feet are swollen. She's sweating. She's having contractions. And now that little baby's head pushes itself into the world. And there she is. He's arrived. A body you have prepared for me. But that body, friends, was virgin born, and it was marked for sacrifice from the time it came into the womb. Because 700 years before Bethlehem, the prophet Isaiah talked about a sign that would come. Isaiah 7:14 says this, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and what shall we call him, church? Emmanuel. Y'all know what a sign is, don't you? I feel like Bill Ingvall, you know, here's your sign, but I, I won't do that here. A sign is something that gets your attention. And then after it's gotten your attention, it tells you something. You've seen signs. You probably saw them on the way up here on the side of the road. Isaiah told us to watch for a sign regarding the coming Messiah. And the sign was is that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. Friends, that would take a miracle. So our Lord backstage in heaven says, a body you have prepared for me. There are those today who contend that the virgin birth is not important. It's not an important Christological doctrine. But I need you to know tonight that it's essential to Christ's own Messiahship. Listen carefully. Jesus Christ was the God man, not God and man. He is God because he's the one and only begotten of the Father. And he is man because he was born of woman. God put himself in the form of a man. Jesus is the God-man. God clothed himself in human flesh. Emmanuel means that God really is with us. But he did not come as a grown man, and he didn't just rush out to the cross, but as a baby so that he could say, I understand what it's like to be you. He knew what it was to face accusations of illegitimacy. He knew what it was like to be deserted by much of his family he knew what it was like to be betrayed by his best friends. He knew the pain of what it was to be falsely and unjustly accused. A body you have prepared for me. You see, Jesus Christ, who was a spiritual being, took a physical body so that we who have physical bodies can take on spiritual beings. Do you understand? He came to be with us in order that one day we could go to be with him. He became what we are, that one day we might become what he is in the sense of being in a perfect state with the Father forever. In short, he came to earth so that we could go to heaven. The Son of God became a son of man so that the sons of man could become the sons of God. This body was prepared to pay the cost of sin because in verse 6 he says, in whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you've taken no pleasure. You see, God was not pleased with all the sacrifices and the offerings under the old covenant. I mean, under that covenant, there were all kinds of blood sacrifices. If you've read your Bible, there were bulls, there were goats and lambs that were sacrificed because of human sin. And while that, that blood was able to appease God and keep him from judging people immediately for their sin, the sin stain still remained. But the blood of an animal could never take away our sin and that's why God sent Jesus. A body was prepared for him. That body born in Bethlehem, that body that ministered in Nazareth, 
that body that went all the way to Jerusalem, that body that prayed in Gethsemane, that body that said, not my will, but your be done, that body that was nailed to the cross, that body paid for our sin. And aren't you glad and aren't you thankful for Christmas? Amen. You see, the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that the wages of sin is death. Everyone here tonight, everyone, including this man standing before you, has sinned before God. And the only thing that can take away our sin is the precious blood of God's own son, Jesus. Christmas tells us that the cost of sin is paid. There's a Christmas story. It's written by a person under a pen name of O. Henry. And it tells the story about a poor young couple who lived in New York around the turn of the 20th century. The couple wanted to, to get each other something nice for Christmas. So the woman, whose name was Della, she looked in her purse, and she noticed she only had $1.87. So she decided to do something sacrificial. She took her very, very long hair, and she cut it very, very short. And then she took her hair, and she sold it, and she received $20 for her hair. She was so happy to have that $20 that she took the money and she bought her husband a platinum chain for his pocket watch. She came back home and she was worried that her husband Jim wouldn't like her with short hair. So she began to go after his heart. She cooked him a meal. She cooked some pork chops and she set the table and she sat there waiting. When Jim came in, he was taken aback, not because she wasn't pretty with short hair, but because he knew what he had just bought her for Christmas. He had went out and bought her some combs for her beautiful hair. But now she had no hair. There they sat, combs for hair and a chain for a watch that he didn't have because to get the combs, he had just sold his pocket watch. They realized that they had some useless presents, but those presents showed a priceless love for one another. And can I tell you tonight that Jesus Christ loves you so much that he would give up what was so precious to him, his own life, that God the Father would sacrifice what was important to you and me, that you and I could know the love of God. And Jesus Christ gave up his life to show you that the cost of sin has been paid. There's a price. It has to be paid. And on this Christmas, amid all the joy of the season, Look back for a moment and just remember that when that baby came, it was a body and it was a prepared body, but it wasn't about all the joy. It was destined for death. Here's the second thing we learned tonight. Christmas means the calling in scripture has been promised. The calling in scripture has been promised because in verse seven, he said, in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. Now that's reference to Old Testament prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. Did you know that there are over 333 specific promises about the Messiah in the Old Testament? And friends, Jesus Christ fulfilled every single one of them, but he just didn't fulfill them. He did it in immaculate detail. For example, the Bible says in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? The Messiah would be born of a virgin. How was he born? The Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. The Messiah would be heir to the throne of David. The Messiah's family would flee to Egypt. The Messiah would be preceded by a forerunner. 
The Messiah would minister in Galilee. He would teach in parables. He would be betrayed by a close friend. He would be silent before his accusers. He would die among criminals. His clothes would be gambled for. He would be sneered at and mocked. He would have none of his bones broken. His side would be pierced. And I could go on and on and on. This was all prophesied in the book hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. In the scroll of the book, it is written, all 333 prophecies Jesus fulfilled. But yet, on that night when Jesus Christ entered into the world, the very people to whom those promises were made rejected the Lord Jesus. But aren't you thankful for verses like John chapter 1, 11, and 12? He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But aren't you thankful for the contractions in the Bible? Aren't you thankful for the buts in the Bible? The but as many as what, church? As many as received him. He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. My God always keeps his promises. But you know this about God. You have to know this about God. He rarely keeps his promises in a way that you and I like. It's just true. He keeps them, but sometimes we don't like the way he keeps them. And we don't like how long it takes him to keep them. Her name was Maj. Her name was Maj Hannah. She was six years old. <laughs> that Christmas, her family had very little money and her mom and her were out shopping. They were doing some window shopping. Madge looked in a window and she saw a beautiful Cinderella doll. It had that long flowing hair and that beautiful dress on and those beautiful little shoes just sparkling ever so brightly in the window. She saw that doll and she asked her mama if she could have a Cinderella doll for Christmas. Mom said, you know we can't afford it, sweetheart, but what I'll do is, is I'll make you one. And this was several weeks before Christmas. And so every moment that she had, her mom would work on this doll and she'd hide it from Madge. And Madge would ask her, hey, mama, I saw you doing something. Are you working on my doll? And her mom would say, yes, you caught me. Madge was so excited. She envisioned what it would look like. She envisioned having tea with the Cinderella doll. She was going to take Cinderella to the ball with her. And then Christmas Eve came, and her mother said, Madge, I want you to come downstairs. There's something waiting for you under the Christmas tree. Madge came down those stairs just bouncing and gleaming with joy, and there it was, the Cinderella doll. But there was a problem. That Cinderella doll had big, thick, black, nasty hair. It had a misshapen face. It had an old dish rag as a dress. And that doll didn't look like Cinderella at all. Now, it might have looked like the ugly stepsister, but it didn't look like Cinderella. Madge ran over and she hugged it. I love her. I love her. I love her. And then under her breath, she prayed, God, please help me to like this ugly doll. That Christmas Eve, she took the doll to bed with her the next morning, she kept her by her side. At dinner, the doll sat beside her, and Madge pretended to feed her. In the days and weeks ahead, she kept the doll by her side. She pretended to love that doll. And when she was sick, that doll was with her. And after a while, you know what happened? She actually began to love that doll. You know why? Because she received 
the promise that her mom gave her. God always keeps his promises, but he doesn't always keep them the way we want him to. And here you can have Christmas joy. I know there are some things in your lives, there's some things that have happened, there's some people in some intense pain that are in this room tonight, but can I tell you this, church? God may not always keep his promises the way you want him to, but he does keep his promises. And it's up to you and I to just receive his promise and learn to love it because that's what makes Christmas so exciting is that God said in the scroll of the book, it is written that I'm coming and Jesus came. And when you and I accept God's promises on his terms and not on ours, that's when we have true joy. Here's the last thing I wanna share with you very, very quickly. Christmas means the commitment of sacrifice has been performed. Did you see it there in verse seven? He said, I have come to do your will, O God. Listen to me very carefully. Jesus not only comprehended the will of God, but he also completed it. That's the primary purpose of his advent, was to do the will of the Father. He began with it here on Christmas Eve in heaven, and 33 years later, he ended it in Gethsemane's garden praying, not my will, but yours be done. It was a conscious willingness on his part, voluntarily, sacrificially, laying down his life in obedience to God the Father. Later in the prime of life, Jesus was beaten, and he was almost beyond recognizable at this point. He was stripped, he was mocked, he was slapped on, he was spit upon, and nailed to a Roman cross and execution but he did it willingly. He said, I have come to do your will, O God. Willingly, he was led before Caiaphas, then to Pilate, and then to the cross. He was never dragged or pushed as an unwilling victim. Hear him in Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah 50, verses five and six. Jesus said, I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, and I gave my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame of spitting. Yes, Christmas means Emmanuel. God is with us, but can I tell you also what it means? That God is for us. God is not only with us, but God is for us. I did not hide myself from the shame. Christmas means that Jesus came for us. He came to do the will of God the Father. In the preceding verse of our text tonight, the Bible says in Hebrews, it says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. He says, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire. Then I've got to ask myself the question, well, then what were all the animal sacrifices about? They were all pointing to one ultimate sacrifice and that was the Lord Jesus. They were simply pointing to Jesus. So then in what sacrifice did the father take pleasure? The final and complete sacrifice of his son. You know how I know that? Because he told me so at Jesus' baptism. At John chapter 129, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the father responded in Matthew 3, 17 and said, this is my beloved son and in him, what church? I am well pleased. But did you notice something? There are two words tonight I wanna to draw your attention to as I begin to wrap this up. He said, I have came to do your will. Think of those words, to do. 
It's not simply enough for us to know the will of God. We have to do it. Jesus Christ did not come to find the will of God. He came to finish it. He came to finish the will. There's a huge difference between the two. True success in life is not simply finding the will of God. True success is finishing and doing the will of God. The will of the Father, every step from Bethlehem to Nazareth, from Nazareth to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Gethsemane, from Gethsemane to Golgotha, it was all done to do the will of his Father. Jesus Christ on the cross said, it is finished. In other words, I have performed your will. That sacrifice that took Jesus to Bethlehem, then took him to Egypt, then took him to Nazareth, then took him to Capernaum, then to Jerusalem, then to Gethsemane, then to Golgotha, then to the grave, and then back to glory, and praise God, guess what? He's coming back again, amen. And because of his faithfulness to the Father's will, now Hebrews 10, 10 through 12 says these words. By that will, we have been sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, praise God, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. Aren't you thankful tonight that Jesus is sitting on his throne? But what if, church, what if the Lord had called those legions of angels and he had said, hey, I want y'all to back up. I don't want y'all to get involved. What if he had known the will of the Father, but he hadn't done it? There would be no Christmas. There would be no trees. There would be no ornaments. There'd be no presents. There'd be no Christmas Eve. You and I wouldn't be here tonight. There'd be no churches. There'd be no New Testament. There would be no Bible. There'd be no hymns. There'd be no music. There'd be no hope. But thanks be to God that we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. Emmanuel means God is really with us and God is for us. The Lord came to do the will of the Father because he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Christmas Eve in heaven, what a thought. What a night. Just before the curtain rises, our Lord turns to the Father and says, a body. A body you have prepared for me. It is written in the book, and I have come to do your will. Let me ask you tonight, then, should you and I do less this Christmas season? Should you and I do less? I mean, since our Lord humbled himself and said, a body you have prepared, should you and I not then be humble this time of year? Since our Lord said, I came to do your will tonight, is there anybody in the room saying, Jesus, I want to do your will? I want you to know today, a body was prepared for him, but it was provided for us. I wonder if Sarah and some others would make their way up here. Because Christmas means the cost of sin has been paid, and Christmas means the calling in Scripture has been promised. And Christmas means the commitment of sacrifice has been performed. You know, I was reading something the other day, and it kind of caught me off guard. And I kind of want to share this with you as I challenge you with something. This year, my Christmas wish for each of you is that you'd be like Ebenezer Scrooge. 
Didn't he hate Christmas? Yeah. But I need you to know tonight that it's not, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. I know that Scrooge hates Christmas and he hates people. Remember in that wonderful story that on Christmas Eve, he's visited by the ghosts of Christmas past. He's reminded about how lovely things were. And he saw he had many happy memories of Christmas, how he's willing to sacrifice the love of a young girl so he could have money. And then he was visited by the ghost of Christmas present. One thing, he, one thing he saw there was the home of his clerk, Bob Cratchit, and Cratchit's little boy, Tiny Tim. And y'all know Tiny Tim is so sick, but yet he's so happy because of God. And then Scrooge is visited by the ghost of Christmas future. And he shows Ebenezer what is yet to come. He shows Ebenezer his own tombstone, and he realizes that his life has been wasted. At that moment, Ebenezer Scrooge begins to beg for a second chance, and he wakes up on Christmas Day a different and a changed man. He starts to give, and he starts to love. And at the end of Dickens' classic Christmas story, it says this, and it was always said of him, that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed that knowledge. May it truly be said of us and all of us, and so as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, each and every one. Can I just challenge you tonight to be like Scrooge? This seems so depressing, I know. <laughs> But I need you to understand that your life can change because that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is not about all these lights and, and all these gifts and those are signs that light has come into the darkness, that, that a gift was given called eternal life. A tree, a Christmas tree is is symbolic of a cross, that Jesus would die on a cross. And so if I don't teach you the true meaning of Christmas, we just celebrate in vain. Christmas is about a Savior. He's came to rescue sinners. And if I were to show you your tombstone tonight, would you look back and say, my life has been wasted? I don't want you to leave here with that. I want you to leave here knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, truly. So I'm gonna pray right now, and I'm gonna ask you that, man, if you need the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never had your sin forgiven, if you don't know that you've been forgiven, if you don't know that if you were to die tonight, take your last breath, that you would be with God in the presence of Jesus and all the holy angels, if you don't know anything about that, if, if you don't know that your life is really any different, but you want it to be, I'm gonna ask you to say a prayer with me. So would you bow your heads with me? And if this is you, you pray this with me. Lord, tonight I, I realize that I have sinned against you. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. 
I believe that you died for me. Jesus, that you died to pay for my sin, that you were buried, and that on the third day you rose again. I confess to you that I want you to be my Savior. Save me, Jesus. Have mercy on me. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.